All right, good morning, Emmaus. It's so good to be with you this morning. If you would, take your Bible and open to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue looking at God's Word together, going through this journey of the Gospel of Mark, thinking about what does it look like to live on the way of Jesus? What direction is Jesus calling us to go? What does it look like to follow Him with, with our lives? As we think about that and, and just things that are happening here around our, our church family, this week we have our upper elementary kids that are headed to camp, as you've heard, and we've got these prayer cards down here that you'll be able to get at the end of the service. As we think about the end of the service as we respond to God's word together, at the end, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand up and sing a final song together. And during that song, if you need someone to pray with you, if, if God's convicting you of sin, if God's calling you to trust in him, you'll have a chance to come down here and, and talk with someone, pray with someone. But also know that when the service ends, just because we're finished in here, our chance to respond doesn't end. We stay here after the service, and we would love to talk with you and pray with you. If you're here this morning and you have questions about following Jesus, we want, to be able to, we want to be able to answer those. Another way that we're able to help out and answer some of those things is like Jeff said earlier, we have on July 10th a guest lunch called Discover Emmaus. And so if you've been visiting Emmaus for a while or you know some people who are looking for a church family, this summer they're trying to connect someplace, that Discover Emmaus lunch is a perfect starting place. So it'll be July 10th just after the service, out here in the main lobby. No obligation, it's just a free lunch to, to learn more about the church. And so invite people to be a part of that. That night, we're doing our camp share night. So these students down here, our elementary kids are gonna be sharing about God's work in their lives this summer, and then we'll have a picnic and hang out. It'll probably be about 115 degrees that night. So, uh, you know, if I send out an email about dress cool for uh, Sunday, we get this kind of weather. I can't promise you on July 10th what it will be that night, but it'll be a lot of fun. We'll be able to be out back, back and you can see some more work that's happening behind the church back there. Some really good things that are happening. But that's in the future. Right now, we're gathered to worship, we're gathered to hear God's word, to think about Mark chapter 5. I want to pray a blessing over us as we get started, and then we're going to look at this chapter. Father, thank you for those who are gathered here. God, those who have come and are able to, to be with family and friends, maybe people who are here today, and it's been a while since they were, were gathered in a church service in a church building like this. Father, I know, I pray that they would know your peace, your mercy, your grace. As we look at these incredible stories in this chapter, God, open our hearts to what you want to say to us. Open our hearts to what you want to do in our lives and our families this week. God, we do pray for these kids as they get ready to go to camp. God, that their hearts would be open to you. God, that they would be able to connect with the leaders and connect with new friends. And God, thank you for a church like Emmaus, just loving one another across generations, desiring to see the gospel lived out and go out into our community and our world. And so, Father, right now, we trust you and we ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will this bleeding ever stop, the woman said to herself. It's been going for months, and it shows no signs of stopping. And on top of that, this is not good for my reputation. <laughs> no husband, no money, and now my best friend is celebrating the birth of her first child. Talitha, 
The name means little girl. What kind of name is that? But I'm probably not the one to be talking about somebody's name because I might as well have no name. Few people know my name. Even fewer people care about my name. And if I keep bleeding like this, I know I'm going to die. The life is literally pouring out of me. And emotionally, I feel that as well. I have no family. I have no future. I can't even go to the temple for spiritual help because the religious leaders say that I'm impure. I'm a woman. And so in this world, that's strike one. I'm single, strike two. I'm broken and bleeding, strike three, strike four. And on top of all this, my brother is gone now. We always knew there was something wrong with him, but I just never knew it was this bad. Uh, you see, he had to move across the lake because we couldn't control him anymore. We were afraid of him, and I could tell that he was afraid too. But the move across the lake hasn't actually helped anything. He can't find work. He hurts himself and others. He's living in a cemetery, and he's controlled by a demon. Broken and bleeding. What's happening to us? Twelve years. Twelve years of rocks and bones. Twelve years of chains and blood. Twelve years of cutting. Twelve years of crying out in anger all day and then crying myself to sleep at night. No one can stop me. No one can help me. But at least they're scared of me. And to be honest, I'm scared of myself as well. The screaming, the cutting, the attacks from this demon. Oh wait, look. There's another boat coming across the lake. More Westsiders. They think they're more religious than everybody else. They think they're better than all of us. But there's something different about this boat. There's, there's something happening in, inside of me. Oh no, not, not another attack. I've gotta go and destroy that boat. But I can't destroy it because that boat has power. The, the Son of God is in that boat. Why is he walking toward me? Why, why is he trying to drive this demon out? What do you want with us, son of the most high God? Please don't torment me. What is my name? My name is Legion. I'm a mob. Please, please send us out into that herd of pigs. And then, just like that, no magic no physical force, just the miracle of his word, and I was free. I was clean. No more unclean spirit, no more cutting, no more screaming, no more spiritual attacks. It was like there was a storm in my life, and Jesus spoke to that storm and said, peace, be still. And I had this great calm in my life. But needless to say, the pig farmers were not very happy about it. But no big deal there because they had always valued their money and business more than a broken man like me. And the irony of it 
is that here is the Son of God driving an unclean spirit out of our land, and now these unclean pig farmers are trying to drive the Holy One out of our land. And so I begged Jesus to take me with him. All of a sudden, the west side didn't look so bad. But he said no. Jesus said no. He said, stay here and tell other people what has happened to you. And I'll tell you what's happened. This one, Jesus, he has brought the kingdom of God. The strong one, Satan, is being bound up, and broken men like me are being set free. Sin is being destroyed. The time for evil is almost up. Repent and believe in this good news. Oh, man, I wish I could tell my sister this good news. Maybe one day she'll meet Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you that I am not like other people. Thank you that I am not a woman. Thank you that I am not a Gentile. Thank you that I am not poor or unclean. Wait, servant, say, say that again. She's still sick? But, but the doctor said that she was getting better. How can she still be sick? Oh man, what am I gonna do? I know what I have to do. I have to find Jesus. All the other religious leaders, they hate Jesus. But I know that he's my only hope. And I found him. It wasn't actually that hard. He was coming back across the lake and there was a crowd. There's always a crowd with that man. Jesus, my, my little girl is sick at home. Please come and, and lay your hands on her and she will be healed. And he actually agreed to come. And so we were walking through the crowd when all of a sudden Jesus stopped because he felt someone touch him. Of course someone touched him. We were being mobbed. But then a woman stepped out from the crowd and I recognized her. Of course. It was my wife's friend. That woman is everywhere. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's been to every doctor. She spent all of her money and way too much of my money. And what does she have to show for it? She's still bleeding. She still has no husband. She still can't go to the temple. But Jesus is speaking to her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Oh, wow. Jesus healed her with, with her problems and imperfect faith. There is hope for my little girl. But no, there, there's not. It's too late. I knew it was too late when I saw my servants running, running toward us. My servants never hurry anywhere. And they were right. We should just leave the teacher alone. Let him, let him go back home. But Jesus looked at me and said, do not be afraid. Keep believing. And so we continued toward my house. Me, my servants, Jesus, a couple of his disciples. And his disciples encouraged me along the way. They told me about being in that crazy storm last week on the lake and how Jesus had taught them to have faith and not be afraid. And when we got to the house, Jesus said, the little girl here is not dead. She's just sleeping. Now, I, I was too heartbroken to laugh, but most of the people there did laugh, and immediately Jesus put them outside the house. And so we continued into my little girl's room, me, my wife, Jesus, a couple of his disciples, 
And Jesus said, Talitha, I say to you, arise. And, and she did. 12 years old, healthy and restored and hungry. No, no surprise there. And Jesus said, give her something to eat, but don't tell anybody what happened here. Now, that surprised me a little bit that he told us not to go out and tell anyone what had happened. But secretly, I was really glad that he said that because it meant I didn't have to tell the other religious leaders what I had done. And then two years later, it all made sense. This Jesus, he was condemned by some of the religious leaders with the help of the Romans to be killed on the cross even though he was innocent. He died on that cross, rejected and cursed, just like that crazy man across the lake. He bled. My wife's friend had bled. He died. My little girl had died. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. What he had done for my wife's friend and her crazy brother, making them clean, he could do for everyone, including me. I like to look like I have it all together, but I'm, I'm broken. I'm unclean. I'm sinful in need of forgiveness. And what Jesus had done for my little girl, raising her from the dead, he could do for everyone, including me. I have the money. I have the power. But I, too, am going to die sooner than I'd like to admit. I need his life. I need his hope. I need his salvation. And so it doesn't matter your age or your social standing or your reputation. Every person on earth faces two problems that they can never fix on their own, sin and death. But Jesus, he has dealt with both of those through the cross and the resurrection. And so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right, let's fast forward 2,000 years from those stories. I might have added a couple of details here and there, made some, made some connections that you have to read between the lines to, to make. But I want you to think about those stories. Think about those stories from, from Mark chapter 5. Sometimes in Emmaus, we might take two verses for a whole Sunday. Sometimes we take 43 <laughs> for, for a whole Sunday. I felt like we needed to take Mark chapter 5 as a whole. Because when you take Mark chapter 5 as a whole, you see a picture of Jesus's ministry and what he's trying to do in the world. If you like to take notes, there are really two points from this chapter, and they kind of fall out in, in two halves. You have the half of the chapter at the beginning about the demon-possessed man across the lake, and then you have the second half, which is the sandwich that starts with Jairus and his daughter and goes to the bleeding woman and then comes back to Jairus and his daughter. Point number one today is very simply that Jesus overcomes sin. And point number two is that Jesus overcomes death. And I know that's really simple, but I hope it's really good news to you from Mark chapter five, that we see in these chapters how Jesus overcomes sin and how Jesus overcomes death. And I wanna deal with a couple of really hard questions that come out of this chapter here. Because these verses raise some questions that make us think, I'm not really sure I understand what's, what's going on there. So, so let's start out with the pigs, okay? Uh, 
Is it really okay that Jesus sent this evil spirit, these evil spirits, into this herd of pigs, and all these pigs ran down and, and were destroyed? How do you make sense of what's going on there? We know from Scripture, we know from beginning of Mark chapter 1, where Jesus spent time with the wild animals, we know from the Old Testament that God cares for his creation, that God cares for these animals. And so it's not a rejection of the animals, it's not a rejection of, of God's creation. What we get a picture of here is that pigs were considered unclean. And so you're in an unclean area with unclean animals and unclean spirits. And so as Jesus is casting all of these out, it's a picture of what he's going to do in his ministry, of casting out that which is unclean so that the kingdom of God will come. And so it's not that Jesus is anti-pig. Uh, we find out later in the New Testament, bacon's okay, which is really good news <laughs> for, for us as followers of Jesus. It's, it's okay to have bacon. Um, it's not that Jesus is anti-creation or anti-animals. It's that he's anti-evil. He is showing that his ministry will cast out that which is impure and unclean here. There's also the question that comes, what about this demon-possessed man here? What about the way that he is harming himself and cutting himself? I want to address this because I want to be so, so clear about this. I know in a room like this that there are people who struggle with cutting and, and self-harm, and I don't want you to read something like this and think that means I'm possessed by a demon. Okay, so, so hear me out loud and clear here. We see here uh, this man who is, is pushed away from society He's harming himself, he's cutting himself, he, he's facing this evil spirit within. This particular story is not to say that everyone who cuts or harms themselves is automatically possessed by a demon, not at all. What you do see in this story, though, are the effects of sin in the world. You see that as sin plays itself out in the world, and, and behind sin is this evil power, that as sin plays itself out in the world, we, we have things like self-harm, we have things like all this social strife that gets built up between people. We see the brokenness that happens in our world. And so what these stories allow us to do is they see a picture of the effect of sin in the world. And so we think about living in our world today and, and the effects of sin that come. And I didn't make a slide about this. I know that's a surprise, but I didn't make a slide about this. And, and, and I don't have anything to put in front of you other than what I'll send out later in the week. But there's a way I think I can explain this to you that, that will make some more sense. And so if you're taking notes or you want to write it down in your phone or something like this, when we think about the impact of sin and, and evil supernaturalism, when we think about that, let's take three words for that. Devil, flesh, and world. Okay, so, so we're thinking about all the evil in the world, all the evil effects that we see, all this evil supernaturalism. How does it play itself out? Take those three words, devil, flesh, and world. We know that the devil works by putting lies before us that don't match up with God's word. So Satan works through lies. Then in our flesh, we think, oh, that lie doesn't sound so bad. It, it actually sounds good. Maybe that leads in a direction I actually want to go. And then the world comes along and says, yay, lie, go with that. You really want to do whatever you want to do. You don't want to follow Jesus. You just want to do your own thing. Satan gives us the lie. The flesh says, that lie sounds really good. And the world says, go for it. Now, take the other side of that. How does Jesus overcome sin? How does Jesus overcome evil? 
Word, Spirit, Church. So on your notes, one side, devil, flesh, world. The other column, Word, Spirit, Church. Jesus overcomes evil, overcomes sin, overcomes this evil supernaturalism by the truth and the power of God's word, the power of his presence with us through the Holy Spirit that transforms our life, and then the gift of the church, people that he surrounds us with that says, don't follow that life, follow this way of truth. It does lead to life. It does lead the direction you want to go. And so at the beginning of Mark chapter five, we see Jesus confronting and overcoming sin because that's what he wants to do in our lives, is confront and overcome the sin that seeks to take us away from the way of God. So the question then for you and and for me is, what sin is threatening to take the life away from you? What, What sin are you seeking to deal with and overcome? What sin is dominating and defining your life and and holding you back from the life that God has called you to? And this scripture very simply says to you, don't let that happen. Turn to Jesus. We don't overcome that on our own, on our own power. How do you overcome these sins that are so frustrating? One day you feel like you're doing better and the next day it's right back. One week you're making progress and the next week this thing that you hate is back around. How do you make progress on that? The truth of God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit resting in Christ, trusting him to change you from the inside out, and the gift of the church. People that God puts around you and says, don't go that direction. Trust me, I've overcome sin. Follow this way, I'll help you, I'll walk with you. So that's the first half of this chapter, Mark chapter five. Jesus overcomes sin. What's the second half of the chapter? Well, you see Jesus overcoming death. These two stories at the end are are really fascinating. It's another example of these sandwiches that Mark throws out there where piece of bread, peanut butter and jelly melted in the middle, another piece of bread over here on the other side. And so he starts with Jairus and his daughter. It gets interrupted by the woman who has the bleeding, and then it comes back to the healing and and resuscitation of of Jairus' daughter, the resurrection story there. What's going on here in in this story? The first thing we have to deal with in this story, and this is an emotional question, and, and it's possible you could be here this morning and really struggle emotionally or dislike this particular Bible story, because what do we ask ourselves? Why does the person I love, why were they not healed? Why was my child my grandchild, not brought back to life. You see stories like this and you celebrate them when they happen, but then when they don't happen, how do we make sense of that in our lives? Well, remember, these miracle stories that are being played out in Mark's gospel, they are ultimately pointing us to the cross and the resurrection. They are showing us a picture of what it looks like for Jesus to overcome sin and death, and they're pointing us to how he will ultimately overcome sin and death. We know that this woman who is bleeding, and we know that this little girl, Talitha, both of them, later in life, at some point, they too died. So they're healed, they experience this healing of Jesus, but they too will face sickness and death later in life. 
not because God's power has diminished, but because God's power all along was pointing toward ultimate victory, that beyond this life, that there is life eternal, that Jesus has overcome the power of sin and death. And so when they experienced that power in their life, do you think it changed the way they lived the rest of their lives? Absolutely it did. This woman who had been healed, even though she one day would die, she lived every day differently because of that healing. And this little girl, this family that experienced this incredible miracle when she was 12 years old, do you think that changed the way they lived every day after that? I'm sure it did. Because there's no longer fear of sin and death because they've seen the power of God played out in this situation. As we experience God's power, as we see how God overcomes sin and death, it transforms the way that we live. They experienced Jesus and it changed everything. And the question is, what does it look like to experience Jesus in this way? It's three words. Come, display, proclaim. Number one, and, and really foundational for this Bible story, is that we come to Jesus with this humble desperate faith. We come to Jesus saying, my only hope to deal with all the junk in my life, my only hope to deal with all the chaos in the world around me, my only hope to deal with the reality of death is you, Jesus. We've had so many of our students over the last couple of weeks who have come to the place in life and said, I can't hold on to my life on my own. I, I can't deal with the brokenness, the realities of my life. My only hope is Jesus. He's enough. And they, they've turned their lives to him. And, and so many of you in this room, that's been your story of saying, Jesus, I come to you. And I come to you with humility and desperation and faith. This woman's faith, this woman who was dealing with the menstrual bleeding, her faith is not perfect here. She calls 1-800-HOLY-RAG and reaches out and touches this little rag on Jesus because she thinks it's going to make her clean. And guess what? Her faith was not perfect, but it was genuine. And I think, and, and I'm going to blame 99.9% .9 of this on, on myself, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we make people feel like their faith has to be perfect for them to come to Jesus. They've got to get all the words right. They've got to get all the answers right. They have to understand everything. And she doesn't understand everything, but she knows she needs help, and Jesus is where that help is found. And that type of authentic, desperate faith is the kind of genuine faith that makes us followers of Jesus. And that faith grows over time, but we come with this humble desperation. And you might be here this morning, and you've been a Christian for 50 years. Guess what? This morning, your humble desperation for Jesus does not change. You needed him the day you trusted him for salvation, and you're going to need him tomorrow when you wake up. We come to him. These examples in Mark chapter 5 show us what it looks like to come to Jesus in faith. And then as we come to him, we want to display his love and his hope and his power to people around us. We want to display this love to people who are broken and hurting. Who does Jesus go to? He goes to the crazy people that live on the east side of the interstate, I mean the lake. He goes to the people that, that live on the east side. Um, he goes to them. Jesus is drawing, drawn to this woman who's pushed to the side by society, who's hurting, who's dealing with this, this problem, he too is drawn to the family that looks like they have it all together and beside, behind the scenes in their house 
their family and their kids are hurting. In our world, to display the love of Jesus, we go to people who are pushed to the side, who are hurting, who are struggling, and we also are called to go to the people in our neighborhoods that if you just looked at them, they've got it all together. They have the money, they have the power, they have the social standing, and behind the front door, it's not good. It's hard, it's broken, they're hurting. And Jesus goes there and provides hope and life and peace and salvation. And then, as we display the good news of Jesus, we tell other people, this is what it means to be saved. And if you say, hey Owen, I'm in favor of one and two. Like, you don't have to convince me I need Jesus. Like, I'll sign up for that all day long. I need Jesus. And and I love to show the love of Jesus to people. I'm probably gonna get off the boat at number three, to be honest, Pastor. Like, uh, I don't mind coming to Jesus, and I don't mind showing the love of Jesus, but when you're asking me to tell people about the good news of Jesus, that's that's when I start to struggle. Completely understand. Put Put me in the same camp as well. But this is what we're called to, friends. This is, this is our calling, that we're able to share the good news of Jesus with people around us. And so we're gonna continue to work on this as a church. We're gonna continue to move in this direction. I have a document that I put together this last week that I'm gonna send out with my church-wide email uh, that I send out this week. And we'll get, we'll get it put on the website under resources on our EmmausOKC.org. What I've tried to do is think about different ways that we can share the good news of Jesus, share the gospel with people, and summarize them in the most simple way possible. And so I've got four different ways that I think will connect really easily with you. They don't require memorizing a lot of stuff. They're primarily visual. One of them is the thing that I try to say often from the stage that every person on earth faces two problems we can't overcome, sin and death. But Jesus has dealt with both of those through the cross and the resurrection. Sin, death, Jesus, cross, resurrection. We can get that, like we can work on that, we can think about that. There's things like the three circles, there's things like the bridge illustration. So watch for that. If you don't get my weekly emails, let me know, I'll be glad to, uh, to add you to that, but, but also it'll be available on our website. And more than that, we're just, as a church family, gonna continue to work toward this guy. What does it look like to share the good news of Jesus with the people around us? This morning, I want you to know that Jesus overcomes the sin in your life and the sin in the world. And I want you to know that Jesus overcomes death. And if you will come to him in faith, you don't have to know all the Bible words, you don't have to know all the theology answers, but if you will come to him and say, Jesus, I need you, he will save you. He will give you life now and life forever. And if you have never done that, during this final song, I invite you just to come. Just come and ask questions, come and pray. You can catch me after the service, we'd love to pray, pray with you about that. And if you're here this morning, and you are battling sin, and you are so done with the sin in your life, and you say, Jesus, I need your help, I need your help to overcome this, can I just call you to pray during this last song? Just pray saying, Jesus, I trust that you have overcome sin, do that in my life through your word, through your spirit, and through the gift of the church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these incredible stories in Mark chapter five, the kind of stories that we love in kids' Sunday school and vacation Bible school. Also, the kind of stories that we secretly wish we probably did more in 
adult Sunday school and just being reminded of your power, of how you work in the hardest places. You work among people who have been pushed to the side. You work among people who feel pressure to keep up a certain image, but behind the scenes that are hurting. God, we believe that through Jesus you have overcome sin and death. God, that you are great. You are greater than our sin. You are greater than our doubts. You are greater than the power of death. And so we come. God, we come humbly and desperately with faith. And then we want to leave this place. And we want to show your love. And we want to share your love with people around us. And so God, as we stand to scene, as people come to the front and pray, as we prepare to send out our kids to camp this week, God, we ask for your power, we ask for your mercy, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.